Now, friends, if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. We are continuing to work our way through this book tonight. We're in Ephesians 5, and the sermon will be on 21 to 24, though I'm going to read 21 through 33. Paul is addressing husbands and wives. I want you to hear both parts tonight, though specifically tonight we consider the role of the wife. Paul's going to address the role of husband and wife in headship and submission. And some of you know it, perhaps as I mentioned earlier, you heard me say, I I took a quick emergency trip to the hospital on Friday. I thought it was my heart. It turns out it may just have been contemplating preaching on submission. (laughs) But that's where Paul begins his instructions. How should the gospel shape our marriage? That's the question. Now, whatever you uh, think you might hear me say tonight or think you might hear Paul say tonight from this text, I want you to filter it through this story The two brothers went down to the river to play. It was dangerous because uh, they dredged the river and they would take out the sand and the muck and they they would pile it on the edge or bank of the river. Now, it was a very enticing place to play for kids with all these mounds of sand, but it was also extremely dangerous because as the sand dried, a crust would form over the top and there might be air pockets, unseen air pockets beneath. And anyone who might play might step into one of those pockets and have the sand collapse on them. And so these two brothers went down to play. And as you might have guessed, they'd been gone a long time when the family got concerned. And they sent out the searchers. And it confirmed their greatest fears. They found the youngest brother in one of these piles of sand, uh, unconscious, barely breathing because it had collapsed on his chest. And when they finally revived him, They said to him, where is your brother? And he said, I am standing on his shoulders. Now, friends, substitute in that story the older brother with a husband and the younger brother with a wife. And you will have the central point of headship, according to the Apostle Paul. It's a picture of the gospel lived out in Marriage. So whatever offense you might take to terms like headship and submission, if you think they're quaint or outdated or you find them insulting, whatever they mean, and, and however poorly you think you've seen them lived out in a family that believe those things, you need to know that the story I just told you is the Bible's model of headship. And I haven't mastered that. And nobody has mastered that. And I want to say that up front as we talk about these things. You have seen many broken marriages. And everyone's marriage is marred in some way by the fall. There are probably more uh, dysfunctional marriages, friends, uh, not on account of adultery, but because of dysfunction in this area of just how does a husband and wife relate to one another and get along with one another in a home. So uh, I want you to think about that. And I want you to remember this as we go to this passage. What God commands, he does so for our good. The sweetness of Jesus you have tasted 
if you have tasted his sweetness at all, comes from the same God who calls you to this. I want to give you life in Christ as we've talked about. The one who united you with Jesus and gave you every spiritual blessing in Christ. The one who promised you eternal inheritance in heaven, full of glory. The one who made you his workmanship, that you might walk in good works. This is the same God who calls you to live this way in marriage. He made you for it, and he has redeemed you for it. And so this is for your good. And I want to say this, if you're not married, Paul's even talking to you. He, you need to think about these things, friends, before you get married. And before you get serious about marrying somebody, because you need to know what you're signing up for. You need to know what it's appropriate to expect them to be signing up for. And so all of us need to hear this word from Paul as he makes his application of the gospel to our home life, our marriages, our families, even our work relationships later on. Here he begins then with husbands and wives. I want to say one last word before we read the passage. Home is sometimes the easiest and also sometimes the hardest place to actually live as a Christian. It can be easy when we love each other well, but it can also be extremely hard when those you love hurt you. And it can be hard to live as a Christian. We need the gospel of God's grace at work in us in order to live graciously with one another. You'll need that same gospel to do what Paul calls you to here. So let me invite you to hear that. Paul's words. He knows it won't be easy. What does he call us to do? Listen to his words, Ephesians 5. I'm going to take the reading at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. This is God's word. Let's look to him in prayer. Father in heaven, I pray that you would teach us your word. I pray that you would give us a desire to walk in your ways. I pray that you would help us to do that. Show us the glory of Christ and his love for his bride. Show us how she responds to him and work that into our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Marriage is about something much bigger than two people enjoying happiness or not being lonely or having legal rights or having righteous sexual relations or populating the earth with kiddos. Though it is about all those things. Marriage is about a man and a woman fulfilling two responsibilities, headship and submission, in order to daily live out to each other and before a watching world the drama of Jesus and his bride. The man's role, Paul says, be Jesus to her. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church. Verse 25, love your wives as Christ does the church. And the wife's role, be the church to him. Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. You see what he's saying? The man looks for her and he finds her and he moves toward her and he delights in her. and He, he wants her, he embraces her, he woos her, he wins her. He loves her to himself. He gives himself to her and for her. And and so Paul says she responds to him. She welcomes him. She receives him. She gives herself to him and respects him. And together the two become one. And the two as one accomplish more than they could ever accomplish apart. So marriage is designed To be about something huge. It's designed by God to be about something enormous. About the gospel itself. There's more at stake here in debates about what marriage is and who should be married. There's more at stake here than being happy, the Bible says. Or not being alone. Or getting your rights. Or living with ever or whomever you want to live with. Or about having kids. Or enjoying the practice. These roles, Paul says, husband, wife, headship and submission, they're not arbitrarily assigned and they're not reversible without obscuring what God intends to teach the world about his son and his church. We are, Paul says, to be living and breathing and walking and talking illustrations Of the love of Christ for his bride. And the bride's love and respect for her husband. That's what we're to be. So no wonder, we might pause and say this, no wonder Satan undermined Adam and Eve's marriage just as he aims to do with yours. No wonder. The enemy doesn't want homes that display the pattern of the gospel. And that make the gospel look understandable and attractive to others. So marriages are under attack. And notice this. This isn't about whether or not a wife lets her husband be the head of the home. Paul says the husband is the head of the home. Paul says to you men, you are the head of the home. However poorly we exercise whatever that means. And we haven't gotten there yet. But however poorly we do it. Or however poorly our wife is responding to us. Paul just says you are the head of your home. Jesus says you're the head of the home. So it's, it's something 
And sometimes, so we, we just should remark on this before we get to the, the main ideas of the sermon about submission, about wives. We should make one more remark here. It's sometimes said that Paul takes verse 21, where he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we looked at that. There is a mutual submission in the body of Christ. One Christian serving another and, and a desire to defer to others. There's an appropriate general Christian attitude of submission. But it's sometimes said that Paul then takes that into the next passage and he applies it in the same way equally to husbands, wives, children, parents, slaves, and workers, as you'll see all the way into chapter 6. But that is not what Paul has done here. He does pick up the word submission from verse 21. He doesn't actually even reuse it at verse 22. So the passage reads, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to your own husbands. As under the Lord. He doesn't resupply the idea of submission here. But but the logic of the passage is not that so he's going to tell wives how to submit to their husbands and husbands how to submit to their wives. That's not the logic of the passage here. And I say that for a variety of reasons. One is if you go to the parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3, it's a very like-minded letter. Paul talks about a lot of the same issues. In Colossians 3, Paul never uses the general idea of submission. He only directly speaks to wives and uses the word in that context. But secondly, the model for the husband is Christ's love for the church, not Christ's submission to the church. While Christ is God's servant on behalf of the good of the church, don't misunderstand, he doesn't submit to it. He serves her, but he doesn't submit to her. And we might also say this in chapter 5, verse 22, all the way to chapter 6, verse 9, when Paul talks about marriage, and he talks about parenting, and he talks about relationships, what we would call at work, different economic system than for some, Paul, doesn't, Paul does call children to obey their parents, but he doesn't then turn around and say, now parents, you obey your children. I mean, that's almost laughable to think that he would. Okay, so, and likewise, he calls slaves to obey their masters, but he doesn't turn around and say, now masters, obey your slaves. Okay, so I'm just saying the, the, the idea of, of taking the word submission and applying it in the same way to both sides of the relationship is inappropriate here. Paul has something to say to wives and he has something distinctive to say to husbands. So let's consider tonight what he says to wives. And if you want to know what he says to husbands, you'll have to come back next week. And I hope that you will. So what does he say to wives here? Well, uh, let's ask four questions about submission. Who does it? What is it? What's her model for it? And how does she do this? Who does it in the first place? Well, verse 22, Paul says, Wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Or submit to your own husbands. He says, submit yourself here. And notice that he doesn't command husbands to go home and make your wife submit. That's not what he's saying here. That would be a a kind of coerced tyranny, not willing submission. I mean, in terms of government, think of it like this. On the, on the one hand, there's totalitarianism as one extreme, and then there's anarchy on the other extreme, and then somewhere in the middle, there's self-government, right? On the one extreme, you're under the thumb of somebody else. And on the other extreme, you're thumbing your nose at everybody else. 
And we might say somewhere in the middle, you actually employ your thumbs for the well-being and help of the other. That's where we are. And so he's not, he's not undermining her essential dignity before the Lord here. She is essentially equal before God in creation. Genesis 1 specifically says God made them in his own image, male and female. He made them in his own image. You're equally created before the Lord, though you're different. She is equally fallen. As Adam is, she is bent on herself, turned inward, and likewise can be equally redeemed, sharing equally in all the benefits of Christ. There's nothing withheld from women or wives that God gives to men or husbands. We all have all the benefits of Jesus in redemption. Yet in marriage, she does have a different role in the relationship, different than the role of her husband. Equality of worth is not identity of role, as someone once put it. So this is not about inequality. And yes, the Bible says Adam was created first, and Eve was made as a helper for the man, a helper fit for him or suitable for him in Genesis chapter 2. But that word helper isn't a belittling word, though some think it it means uh, the Bible must think of him as varsity and she's JV. Or, you know, he's on the court and she's just carrying the water. That, that is not what that word means. When the Bible uses the word helper in Genesis 2, it uses the same word God uses of himself. When the psalmist says in Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes and I look to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. God is the helper of his people. And likewise, God made Eve to be the helper of Adam. Why? Because it wasn't good that he should be alone. Because he was needy. And he needed her. Someone like him, but complementary and different than him. And so they fit together. And so headship and in, headship in submission is about how we fit together in marriage. How we function together in marriage. And notice then in this passage as well that the wives are commanded to submit to their own husbands. To your own husbands, verse 22. This is not some general command that all women should submit to all men. The Bible never says that anywhere. It's not the case. No woman is commanded to submit to just any old man who comes along. But to your own husband. And so this applies to you if you have a boyfriend. God does not command people who are not yet married, uh, he does not command women to submit to men to whom they are not yet married. There is a beautiful moment in a marriage ceremony where the minister asks the man, uh, will you take this woman to be your wife? And he says, I will. And then he turns to the woman, will you take this man to be your husband? I will. And then who gives this woman to be married to this man? And, And dad says, I do. And it's an incredible picture of what God did for Adam in the garden when God made Eve and brought Eve to the man and gave her away, as it were. And, and in, in, the, in the wedding ceremony among humans, what's happening is covenantal responsibility and authority is being transferred out of the hand of dad and into the hand of the husband. Uh, so dad turns away and he goes and he sits with his own wife and he says goodbye. 
in a sense, right? So that two weeks later when a fight breaks out at home and she calls dad in the middle of the night, dad, I want to come home. The wise father says, honey, you are home. So if you aren't married yet, you aren't yet under the authority of this other person. Now certainly the closer you get to marriage, the more the man will be looking to see, does she have any inclination at all? And, and she ought to be asking, do I have any inclination at all in this direction? But you are not commanded to submit to your boyfriend. And so notice again, he says, not only you do this to your own husband, and not only this is something you do, and nobody can make you do this. I mean, that would be just the very opposite of the idea anyway. Nobody can force you to do this. Notice that Paul uh, says this is, this is a voluntary part of your obedience to Jesus, and he treats her like a full disciple of the Lord Jesus here. Uh, Paul treats her as a fully involved, fully competent, fully intelligent, fully capable, responsible disciple of Jesus. And he says, he says, live this way, choose to live this way to her. Submission doesn't mean she's got to give up independent thought. And she can't think for herself. Paul doesn't say, go, husbands, go home and make your wives submit. He says, sisters, dear sisters, I'm not asking your parents to pass this along to you. I'm not asking your husbands to pass this along to you. I know that you're present in worship as this book is being read to you. And I'm addressing you directly out of love for the Lord Jesus in your own discipleship to the Lord. This is for you. So he treats them like fully functioning disciples. So this is who is to do it. It's wives to their own husbands. Now, what is it he's calling them to do? I know we haven't even gotten there yet, really. I know you have an idea about it, but what is he actually saying here? What does it mean when he calls them to be submissive? As we said last week, this word is a, is a military term, meaning to arrange under. It's about order in a society. At the heart of it is the idea of the divine ordering of society. It's, it's not a dirty word. We're all under authority. Every Christian is under God and chooses to submit themselves to God. All of us are under a government and we are called to submit ourselves to the government. Children grow up under their parents and are to submit themselves to their parents. Employees submit to their employers. Church members, the Bible says, you are to submit to your elders. And the fact is we all struggle in these things, of course, I realize. But we're all called to submit in a whole variety of ways in life. In other words, Paul is calling the wife to express her general Christian commitment to submit to Christ. In a particular way towards her husband. He, he's he's, he's um, calling her to give um, a general expression of Christian discipleship in a particular kind of relationship. And so this is not a bad word. This is a good word. This is what we're all called to. It requires a great deal of humility. And we all chafe in various ways, I understand. Let me, let me give you a couple of definitions of submission. One is from a book called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood by John Piper and Wayne Grudem. They say this, submission refers to a wife's divine calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership 
and help carry it through according to her gifts. It's not an absolute surrender of her will. Rather, we speak of her disposition to yield to her husband's guidance and her inclination to follow his leadership. I think that's a helpful statement. Uh, Likewise, the Baptist uh, faith and message, which they came out with some years ago and got hammered for in the media, but which is a, a good statement, goes like this. The husband and wife are of equal worth before God since both are created in God's image. The marriage relationship models the way God relates to his people. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He has the God-given responsibility to provide for, to protect, and to lead his family. A wife is to submit herself graciously to the servant leadership of her husband, even as the church willingly submits to the headship of Christ. She being the image of God, as is her husband, and thus equal to him, has the God-given responsibility to respect her husband, and to serve as his helper in managing the household and nurturing the next generation. And so this is what we're talking about when we talk about submission. She comes alongside him and she helps him. Nothing in this passage is about humiliating a woman. Nothing about this passage is about exploiting a woman or oppressing a woman. And if you know anything about the history of the world, it's, it's Christianity that liberated women from cruelty and oppression, from being the possession of men. We know that by the time of Jesus, some Jews, many Jewish men were praying a morning prayer that said, God, I, I thank you that you have not made me a Gentile or a slave or a woman. That's not a biblical prayer at all, but that was an attitude common in that day. And she was treated far worse in the Greek and Roman cultures as a possession and not a person. But the Bible's view of women wherever it has been embraced, has elevated women, improved their condition, liberated them, and called, their, called men to honor and serve and love them. And so here, Jesus treats his disciples with great love and honor. That's the Bible's view. And I want to say this to wives. Your husband needs this from you. I mean, consider the effects of the fall and the consequences of the rebellion in his life for a moment. There's strife and trouble at work. There are daily frustrations outside of the home in making a living or building a business, having dominion and mastery over the earth. That's all frustrated. It's filled with thorns and thistles. His boss might hound him almost daily. Clients are going to pester him. Angry customers are going to walk in and be ticked at him. Arrogant students will contradict him in the classroom. And when he gets home, his children are not always going to be the loving, sweet, tender-hearted, obedient children we all long for them to be. The last thing in the world that he needs is to be fighting also with you. But he needs you to fight with him in the battle of life. He needs you to support him and help him, respect him, stand with him, be there for him and make sure he knows that you're for him. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying, so that you work together. Now, what is the model then for the the wife here? The model, verse 24, he says, is the church. As the church submits to Christ, so wives 
should submit in everything to their husbands. Submission does not mean putting the husband in the place of Christ. You submit, verse 21, out of reverence for Christ. You submit, verse 22, as unto the Lord, out of respect and love for Jesus. You choose to respect and love your husband. And you do this, he says, in everything. There is no area of life where this does not apply, the Apostle Paul says. As the church submits to Christ, so wives submit to their husbands in everything. And I want to say to us two things about that. One, don't be quick to find a time when this doesn't apply. Don't let your mind lead to, well, when can I really get out of this? That's the heart and attitude of a legalist who looks at God's law and says not, how can I do this? But when does this not apply to me so I can get out of it and not do it? The heart of a Christian says, if this is what the Lord wants me to do, how do I do this? So our attitude should be, should be yes rather than no. But still... When Paul says everything, are there no qualifications? And of course, there are qualifications. They are these. What if your husband is commanding you to do what the Bible forbids? Like bring somebody else into the marriage bed. Or what if your husband is forbidding you to do what the Bible commands, like worship Jesus? Then... You disobey your husband and do what God calls you and commands you to do. I say that just as Peter told the authorities in the book of Acts when they commanded him to stop preaching the gospel. And he said to them, we must obey God rather than man. And he did not submit himself to the governing authorities and he continued to preach the gospel And he suffered the consequences for it. But there is this in the Bible that there are limits to our obedience. You don't go along with him in sin. A godly wife rather ought to confront her husband for his sin. Don't help him in sin if that's the case here. Now there are ways to do that with a godly spirit and disposition. But otherwise you respond to him as Christ does the church. You don't submit because he's such a great guy. Sometimes your husband, husbands deserve very little from their wives. I, I know that I outkicked my punt coverage, as they say. I married up, and I would encourage every man to marry up. And, and so every day you wake up and you say, I do not deserve this woman. What a gift of God's grace to me. But the reason you submit, dear wives, is because the Lord Jesus deserves it, not because your husband deserves it. And because you love Jesus, and Jesus calls you to this. And and in some ways, that just makes this really hard. This, in many ways, makes, makes your marriage relationship harder than your relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because Christ has no sin. Christ is perfect and he has never failed you. Christ, your savior, the lover of your soul, has always sought your best interest, even to giving his life on your behalf. But but there isn't a husband in this room who's perfect. There are husbands who make mistakes. There are husbands who are weak. There are husbands who are sinful. And how much more difficult then 
does this become to actually submit yourself to a man who isn't Jesus? But this is what the Bible is calling you to. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Look at verse 18, where all of this began. At the end of verse 18, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And you remember last week we talked about it. He says, and what that looks like is it looks like singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It looks like giving thanks for all things. And it looks like submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. How does anybody do this? I mean, if the ideal is what I just said, and we all fall short of it, and this is unnatural to us, and the gospel is calling you to do what you are incapable of, this kind of selfless, self-giving, and your marriage is revealing that you're, that you're broken in ways you didn't realize. You, you get married, and then you discover, I'm a lot more bent on myself than I ever imagined I was. I wake up every day selfish. How do I do this if it isn't easy? And you need to remember this, that on the one hand, Jesus loves to draw near to the broken and contrite of heart. Jesus loves to be gracious to you. And you need to remember this, that nobody can handle these roles on their own. You weren't designed to do it. In your own strength. You are weak. And he says you need to be filled with the spirit of God. You need to continue. Paul says to lean on the help of the Holy Spirit. To walk in God's ways. And submission to your husband. Assumes a greater submission on your part. To the influence of the spirit of God. And you'll only be willing. To submit to the spirit of God. And to to submit to the spirit of God's help in submitting to your husband. You'll only be willing to do that as you see that spirit is the spirit of your Lord Jesus Christ. Who gave himself in submission to the will of the Father in order to love you, pardon you, be crushed for you, and to take you as his bride home to himself. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, I pray for everybody in this room that you would grant us a more willing heart in all the ways you call us to be submissive to authorities. And I pray that you would give a special measure of grace to wives tonight to be gracious and forgiving of their husband's failures, to desire to walk in the way that you command her to. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and we'll sing a couple stanzas from the church's one foundation.